Oi! My name's Deglock Finkstealer, and I'm on a murderous mission to decapitate the brightest and best fighters within the Death Gorge. With each hit I take, my cunning increases, and I means to gather enough smarts to make me a killer boss. I've got the lads with me. They share my vision. And they're gonna work with me to make my ambushes and my schemes. And they're going to make them better with their own savagery and their cunning. Herc the Howler is my herald. And he bears a horn called the Roar of Kratnos. It makes a terrifying noise that scares all the Yomis. Then we've got Grat the Hook. The lad uses his bitter flail to yank the Yumis off balance. And then we've got Jax. He's the bleeder. He's a sadist. And all the Yumis fear him, even the other boys. Daze is gonna help me take the Death Gorge and make me a killer boss. Wah! Welcome back to Path to Glory, the Warhammer Underworlds podcast that focuses on competitive gaming, player development, and community growth. I'm your host, Amon Kusro, and I'm joined by a good friend and fellow Path to Glory member, George, also known as Kairos. George, how's it going, brother? It's going pretty good, Amon. It's a wonderful holiday season, and I hope everyone else is having a great one as well. Yes, absolutely. Happy holidays to everyone who is participating in any sort of holiday event or season or just enjoying some great family time. This is, I guess, Path to Glory's Christmas gift to the community, getting out these podcasts for both this warband and Malevolent Masks before the end of the new year. Of course, if you are interested in the Orky celebrations, then we wish you a, I don't know how orcs say Christmas. Let, but, let's uh, say a green Christmas. Yes, indeed. All right, anyways, so... We are going to be doing our Warband review for Dagox Stablads. This is a four-man orc warband. They have a plot card, so we'll go over the plot card. We'll go over the fighter cards, go over the deck, which is the objective gambit and upgrades, and then share our final thoughts and perhaps even some pairings that we think would work well for this warband in the Nemesis and Championship formats. Now, keep in mind, because of the fact that the Warhammer World Championships is going to be held in Nemesis formats moving forward, most of our lens will be through the Nemesis format. We will comment on championship things here and there, but again, we are just focusing on the Nemesis format, so just want to keep that in mind. Before we get into the main episode, we have a couple people to thank. We'd like to thank our patrons for their support. We are doing our best to improve our content and maximize our spending so that we can continue to create the best Warhammer Underworlds content out there. However, your support is extremely beneficial and noteworthy, so thank you so much for your support. We really, really appreciate it. I also want to share some exciting news. We've made the leap to Spotify as our new podcast home. Why, you ask? Well, because we firmly believe in being where our listeners are 
and a majority of our listeners are on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Additionally, Spotify is undeniably the leader in the podcasting space. Plus, it's free for all of you to enjoy all of our episodes hassle-free. It's also free for us, actually, which helps cut back on some of those aforementioned expenses while continuing to fire on all cylinders. So please join us on Spotify and give us a listen on that platform if you can. We're really focusing again on Spotify and Apple Podcasts to get some exciting plans in motion. Speaking of which, we are trying to get 100 five-star reviews on Spotify right now. I think we're sitting just under 50. Please help us out and support us. We'll also have some poll quizzes available on the Spotify app as well. George, any comments? Nothing from me, just that I appreciate all our listeners, and I hope all of you appreciate our efforts here. I hope it's enjoyable. And if there's any content, questions, you know, concerns, things you want to hear from us, let us know. Absolutely. Now, in our latest segment, our newest segment, in fact, it's called Path to Worlds. This segment is all around sharing events that have golden tickets and qualifier events for the World Championships of Warhammer. So right now, as of recording, there are four events that have been confirmed, or at the very least can bet on they will have some sort of qualifier event. We have the Las Vegas Open in January, the Grand Cherokee Open in February, Adepticon in March, and Nova end of August, early September for 2024. As more events appear and are shared, we will update this list to ensure all of our listeners and the greater community have a chance to qualify and attend the World Championships of Warhammer. Additionally, we are bringing back our Sleeve It or Leave It at Inspiration Strike segments. However, we will be alternating those moving forward in the new year so that we have additional segments that we can chat and talk about as we continue to create content for Warhammer Underworlds. And with all of that out of the way, George, let us start by talking about this warband. Let's talk about it aesthetically at first and the miniatures. Very cool looking miniatures. They're the like cunny version the swampy version of the orcs. Yeah, they're what cruel your, boys. Cruel boys, that's right. What are your thoughts on the minis? Do you have a favorite? Oh, it's hard to pick just one. I think everyone knows by now I'm a huge cruel boy fan. I've been a cunning crew enthusiast, and these are the new... Well, we'll see if they're really the new cunning crew, but they're definitely new cruel boys. And I, I have to go with the hook. As my favorite. We haven't talked about the names. People don't know the names yet. But Grack the Hook is the shirtless barbarian-looking one with the giant spiky flail. And he just looks mean. I like the way he looks. I know everyone loves the tuba, but I'm, I'm going to go for the guy who looks like he's doing his best Conan impression. Absolutely. No, I, I think he is one of the more interesting fighters in the warband. I find that, from an aesthetic perspective, the miniatures are cool. And... They're very simple, and I think that kind of works in their favor. Sometimes some Warhammer Underworlds miniatures can be very decorative or detailed. And what I really like about them is that they just look as what they're supposed to be. They are cunning crew, not cunning crew, they are cruel boys, right? And you want them to have that general aesthetic that can fit in the larger army, they could fit in a war cry, but they do have those unique poses and things. I'm a big fan, personally, of the horn guy, Hurrick the Howler. Yeah, he's an awesome model. He's very unique. He definitely stands out because we haven't seen, you know, anyone with the, any musician for the Cruel Boys at all, I think. And and it's a great looking horn. It, it looks like it's a mouth that's angry and mean. Absolutely. All right. Well, cool. Aesthetically, they look interesting and they're going to be fun. Another four-man warband, which I find to be 
actually very interesting for orcs, more so cunning crew. Oh, fuck. Keep saying cunning crew. I find it very interesting for the cruel boy style of play, but the fact that there are four orcs, I think, makes sense. And I think once we start looking at their stats, we'll understand why. But any thoughts on the fact that there are four fighters? Is that exciting to you? I feel like we got a lot of four fighter warbands in the last couple of years. Do you think it's the new standard? Uh, they have kind of been proliferating four fighter warbands since Dark has them, I feel. I think it's just, it's a good number. It's a balanced number. I, I don't know if there's an optimal number of fighters you can say, because it's going to depend on the specific mechanics. But we haven't had a four orc warband since season one. So that's exciting. And in general, as I, I call them four by fours, the, you know, four fighters, four wounds each tend to be on the stronger side. Even, even when their cards or their mechanics are mediocre, they, they tend to just have a raw efficiency in that you've got four bodies and four activations around. So you even look at like Kagra, that can be a bit disappointing. They still can do some work. And I don't think I have to remind our listeners too much that you did a lot of work with Crimson Court in the past. No, absolutely. I think, well, first of all, I appreciate that. Thank you. But certainly I do get excited when I see what I guess the community has coined elite warband sizes, because I personally just enjoy playing with higher stats in general and lesser models. So for me, I'm very excited and interested in this warband, and I'm looking forward to talking about it with you today to see what we can do with them. So let's start with the plot card here, George. I'm going to read this to you, and then I want to get your initial thoughts here. When using Dagok Stab Lads, show this card to your opponent and then reveal your warband step and use these rules in the game. Schemes are gambits with these additional rules. You can only play schemes in your power step and you play them face down. A face down scheme is not in your hand, has no effect, and is not persisting. Turn your face down schemes face up at the start of your next turn. At this point, the scheme's text explains what the effect the scheme has. Each scheme persists until you meet the condition described on the card. When you do so, put the scheme under this card. A scheme under this card has no effect, but some cards count the number of schemes under this card. After your power step, you can return any persisting schemes to your hand. It's definitely an interesting plot. It's hard to evaluate in a vacuum. So for everyone listening who hasn't seen the schemes yet, you know, this is going to maybe sound like gobbledygook, but it's got potential. As we'll see, I am thinking that some of the schemes could have been a little stronger. But at the same time, it's very interesting to play a gambit face down and your opponent doesn't know what's coming. So there's a lot of room for mind games. And because you can pick it back up if you didn't meet the condition, you can potentially play a given gambit twice in a round, which depending on the effect can actually be pretty powerful. And as I said, leaves a lot of room for mind games if you pick one up and then play a different one, but they assume it's the same one. So it, it seems flavorful and fun. And we'll we'll discuss the payoffs and how good it is or isn't later. I think that's a great summary, and you're absolutely correct that it's hard to evaluate without talking about the actual cards that interact with the scheme mechanic itself. However, I will just go out and say this. There are three objectives that ask you to lean into the scheme concept, and there are also six gambits that are also asking you to lean in the scheme concept as well. So it gives you a fairly decent selection of cards that you can choose from and work into without having your opponent be able to guess and plan too much into the mind game that schemes are trying to create. I do really appreciate the style and design of this mechanic. While I do think 
truly that the schemes could have been a little stronger and a little bit of foreshadowing here. Again, I like the mechanic and from a design and execution perspective, it's executed fairly well, which is quite exciting. Again, we talk about this mind game. It's very similar to trap cards in Yu-Gi-Oh! where it's like, oh, I wonder what they have, but I can kind of make an educated guess based on the meta or in this specific example, what the warband is trying to do. And my fear potentially is that there are just going to be certain schemes that are head and shoulders, perhaps above the rest, which will mean that while the mechanic is cool, the gameplay necessarily won't translate because your opponent's like, all right, well, it's probably this one of three schemes, right? And and you can probably narrow it down based on certain activities or things like that. So again, I like the idea. I like the scheme. And the schemes themselves have fairly reasonable effects, which make them interesting. But I think when shooting for excellence and being a little critical, I'm curious on some of the design decisions, if that makes sense, George. Oh, it does to me. I I do think that the schemes could have been just a hair stronger, even for a repeatable effect. And you made a very valid point that once we know what the good schemes are and your opponent expects the good schemes, it's going to be harder to game them because they can kind of factor all of them in. I will say that the objective payout for the schemes is, is a pretty fair amount. It's pretty well designed. I do like that aspect. And it's interesting that, in a sense, the schemes are extra objectives for them, right? Like, you bring objectives that you score for doing your schemes, but your schemes themselves are mini-tasks. So it's like you're really playing your own game that your opponent doesn't know. So again, flavorfully, it's very, very cool. It's interestingly executed. The, the power level is where we could bump it up or down. There all are also actually four upgrades that interact with schemes in the deck uh, to varying degrees of, of strength, again, as we'll see. But definitely, it's a mechanic that I think, unlike some other warbands, they really did make the effort to invest a substantial chunk of the warband's cards in trying to synergize with it, which I appreciate because sometimes a warband's mechanic feels a bit like an afterthought. That's fair and that's valid. I liken it a lot when I was trying to evaluate a good or at least a similar example that we've seen before. It's almost the inverse of quests where quests are like, I proudly declare what I'm trying to do, and then you can stop it. It's also like oaths, in a sense. Like, quests and oaths are kind of very similar, where this one is like, I am secretly trying to accomplish something. So, I think the end of the day, it's the same playstyle, and your opponent reacts in the same way, but something, I think, interesting to think about. Yeah, definitely. And it's, it is a fun comparison with quests. Because you're keeping it hidden until it's time to do it. Whereas quests, you're like, oh, I'm here it is. And you can mind game with both. Uh, you can mind game with quests by putting one down that you have no intention to score. But, you know, your opponent thinks you're trying now. So, definitely I enjoy that aspect of the game. Absolutely. Okay. Well, let's get into the fighters themselves. So, we're going to start with Dagok Finkstila. He is a hunter and a leader. He has a movement of three. One block, four wounds. His boss sticker attack is range 2, 2 smash, 2 damage, and his cruel skewer is range 2, 1 fury, 1 damage, with the special rule, cruel cunning. Reaction. After another friendly fighter's move action, this fighter makes this attack action, targeting an enemy fighter adjacent to that fighter. This attack cannot be modified. Now, when this fighter inspires, 
Through its inspire condition, this fighter deals damage to a second or subsequent fighter in the same phase. It gains a little bit of bump in stats. Its move goes to 4, and the wounds go to 5. It retains the 1 block at defense. The boss sticker goes to 3 smash, but stays at 2 damage. And the cruel skewer goes to 1 smash and stays at 1 damage, and the reaction stays the same. Again, after a friendly fighter's move action, this fighter makes this attack action, targeting an enemy fighter adjacent to that fighter, that fighter being the friendly fighter that made the move action. This attack action cannot be modified. George, what are your thoughts on Mr. Finkstila? He's definitely very interesting. It The reaction is hard, you know, because on the one hand, we've seen how strong a reaction attack, even an inaccurate one, can be from Ripa. We've seen, you know, that this can add a lot of damage if you're able to attack lots of times. Maybe there's objectives for attacking lots of times. But it can't be modified. It's only one damage, and it's only ever one dice. So it is difficult, and his inspire condition is a little difficult. But all around, he's solid. You know, I, I hate to say it, but he's not Manok, and that makes me a little sad. On the other hand, he can attack a lot if you're able to get those move actions off. So there's still potential there. It just... I'm a little frustrated by how dicey that potential seems to be because I think there's going to be a lot of games where I roll and while he's uninspired, I'll roll nothing but smash and once he's inspired, I'll roll nothing but fury. That's funny. Yeah, that that's the Underworld's curse. But going to the gameplay of this fighter, I think you're absolutely correct. We've seen the power of how out-of-activation attacks can build up and add up and can really be frustrating for your opponent sometimes when you just roll that crit every once in a while, right? That one in six chance, which can really hamper some of their plays. I think the play pattern that I'm seeing here with Dagok is, interestingly enough, you might actually want to go with him earlier or invest in cards that can allow him to position well onto the board so that when everyone else starts charging in and piling in, he can continue to proc that attack. Now, you're absolutely correct in how inaccurate it is. It's extremely inaccurate and seems very dicey and seems out of your control which is why maybe it may not be worth investing in setting that up. However, you're absolutely correct on the Inspire condition. While it seems like you want to get him inspired quickly, it just sometimes feels like it's going to be games where it's completely out of your control. And so I can definitely see many games in which you actually never inspire him. And I think that's okay, because range 2 to smash is fine. It's respectable. It's a very average stat. Four wounds is fine. You can give him some sort of wound upgrade, whether in your Nemesis deck or in Championship and other options where you can get him to that five wound spot if you really want him there, if you want him to be large. Though I think it's better to just throw that on if and when you do get him inspired because you've already invested in the large at that point because he goes to five. Other than that, it's very interesting because you... You really want him inspired because the stats could become so much better, but it's just that question of, can you get him there? That's where my concern lies. And that may be the balance that the designers have tried to toe is, will you commit to it in order to just have weight of dice get you to inspired? Because once he's inspired, I think he becomes a very meaningful and scary fighter. Definitely. I, I think three smash on his range two is a world of difference from two smash in terms of reliability. And in terms of, you know, interfacing with Grievous or other stuff, it's just difficult because I think in a vacuum, you know, there are four fighter warbands. So if they all charge, that's it. There's no charge rule for him round one. So you're really, if you need to hit two different fighters with him, you need to hit with his reaction attack. 
and it needs to be a different fighter than the first one you hit, which can be kind of tricky. I think it's more interesting if you're able to position him very intelligently and kind of take a lot of attacks without charging and then get the skewer when you move someone else around, you know, kind of hold your territory. It's It's got a lot of potential there, and you're right that inspiring him is going to be uh, a significant cost for a fairly significant reward. I would have liked to see him get Grievous or plus one damage also. Yeah. Inspired, I, I think, and we'll see across the board, I think the damage stats on this warband are just a shade uh, underdone. It feels like they overestimated exactly how much output Cruel Skewer will really reliably put out for them in terms of weighting their, their damage stats, but I, I may be totally wrong or maybe my dice will decide to, to change up in the new year. If they're listening, Chris would be appreciated. Indeed. That's all I want for Christmas. I do think, interestingly enough, that a ranged weapon attack action upgrade on this fighter seems very interesting because the way that the fighter deals damage, it doesn't matter, right? You don't have to use Cruel Skewer. Maybe you get a Bostica attack or you just throw a ranged weapon and then you just make two range attacks. Again, it's very dicey, right? So at the end of the day, you're absolutely correct. It Kind of feels like it's a little bit out of your control, but I think there are some really cool options there. Also, in true Path to Glory fashion, I think Void Curse Thralls could be a good pairing just off the rip with Dagok Finkstila because it gives him the opportunity to make more attacks. Oh, it definitely will be a good pairing. I intend to break that pairing wide open. I may even paint these guys Void Curse just right off the rip because I'm not going to play them with something else. But we're getting ahead of ourselves and spoiling my sneaky schemes. Yes, and we'll definitely allow you to fully lay out your well-laid plans. But it's just something I couldn't resist, given the fact that we kind of are obsessed as a podcast on VCT. As we should be. As As we we should should be. be. Next fighter here is Herc the Howler. Again, love this miniature. Love this amazing horn that he's using. Movement of three, one block, four wounds. He has a Shore Hacka, range one, two smash, two damage. He has the Roar of Kragnos reaction. Kragnos, if you are unfamiliar with the Age of Sigmar lore, is a giant god-esque creature of destruction and rampaging. He was recently awakened, and he's beyond a, he has been on a tear in the land of Gur, and a lot of destruction factions and entities and affiliations have come to his call as he lays waste and rampage so after this fighter's activation again a reaction if this fighter did not make a super action give this fighter one roar counter when this fighter has one or more roar counters this fighter supports other friendly fighters within two hexes clear this fighter's roar counters at the end of the phase now herc the howler inspires When a friendly fighter this fighter is supporting makes a successful attack action. When he does that, his movement bumps up to four and his shore haka goes to three smash. Everything else stays the same, including the roar of Kragnos reaction. So he's definitely a cool piece. And, you know, the horn is definitely powerful. Support everyone within two of him. That's pretty cool. And I hate to be negative because I love the models. I love the cruel boys. But he does feel like a bit of a step down from Tough Skull. You know, it's harder to access his support. I think on the surface, it looks like, oh, that's pretty cool. I'll just make a move with him or I'll just make an attack with him. But 
again, in a, in a meta where the charge rule is so, so important, and you can't charge with him if you want those supports. You have to make just a move. And he's only range one, so making just an attack is kind of relying on your opponent standing somewhere they really shouldn't be standing. That said, I'm sure there will be ways to use it. It's potentially strong. You know, he doesn't have any stats that are outright awful, but his stats aren't incredible either. It's nice when he gets to the three smash, and I think he's going to be on the easier side to inspire because supported attacks are the ones you want to make. They're the ones that are more likely to succeed. But I'm not sure if, if the cost of, well, I just made a move action to set up these supports, and now he's inspired is going to be worth it because, again, I think you'll struggle to actually access the value of his inspiration in the same round that you inspire him. So you're like investing in the next round, being able to charge with that three smash attack. But again, if as soon as you do, he's not getting his roar counter that round. You're absolutely correct. I think this is a actually quite a bit of a missed opportunity when it comes to this fighter and this mechanic specifically, because you're absolutely correct. When four fighters are in a warband, it feels really bad to not be able to use the reaction after any action including a super action the fact that they removed super actions from this potential ability means that very often than not you either have to make a subpar activation or you maybe are playing maybe more of a passive style which i don't think this warband really lends into too much generally you have four fighters you want to make four charges now two smash two damage is fine i'm cool with that three smash two damage is even better and that's fair that's a standard inspiration profile from start to inspired across warbands over years right so it just seems like he's very average, and unfortunately, it just seems like because he's a range one fighter, really the only time he's going to inspire is if he charges someone first and then someone else charges adjacent to him or adjacent to the fighter that he's attacking, and then from there, he's providing supports through the natural original way. Because I'm thinking about this effect again, and obviously we have to compare him to the cunning crew, right? And that mechanic is just flat. It's standard. And that's why it works so well. And they're very balanced. Like the Cunning Crew are not broken. They're not, they haven't really even won anything, really, right? So the fact that, you know, George, you can change that. I know. I see. I see. <laughs> I, I want to. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, is that that feels good. So it's curious to me why they insisted on forcing a subpar activation in theory in order to access a weaker version of what the Cunning Crew already have. You can even compare this to Velmorn, right? Velmorn's original design, let alone his errata design, is better than this. And that wasn't good enough. So I'm really curious on what people were thinking with this because it just seems like it's not really going to get much use. And I just feel like this fighter was crippled because of the potential. And now he's just another move three, four wound, range one, two smash, two damage fighter. Yeah, exactly. It is nice that when he's supporting, it is on defense too. Tough Skull doesn't support against enemy attacks, but it's it feels like maybe at some point in their design cycle, they had two dice on defense, and that defensive support was more meaningful, and then they didn't adjust when they adjusted something else. I, I don't know. I'm not a designer, but it just feels like there isn't enough value there with where their stats are, and some of their stats feel like they were even held back a little because of this ability. And I, I, we see this with Velmore also, since you mentioned them, where it looks like their baseline accuracy was kind of assumed that they'd always have support, so they priced in that support and then gave them accuracy that just gets to okay, 
once it has the support and is abysmal without it. I think that's but an excellent we'll observation. That. Yeah. All right, well, let's move on to Jags the Bleeder. I will say, I love the names. Hunter, movement three, one block, four wounds. Wicked Hackers, range one, three fury, one damage with crit grievous one. Jags inspires when an enemy fighter with one or more wound counters is dealt damage that takes them out of action. Jags then inspires to four move, one block, four wounds. This Wicked Hackers just bump up to two damage. And a little bit of lore with Jags here. Jags has a nasty habit of leaving his Hakka embedded as an opponent. Fortunately, he always carries a spare. And this is an example of, of what I mean with kind of just stats that aren't quite there. This is a four-fighter warband. Why does someone have one damage at baseline? I don't... You know, he has Grievous and that's nice, but he could just be three smash, two damage, and that would be still unexceptional. You know, he'd be strictly worse than Anias, for example. And now he, in he inspires just to get that kind of Anias profile. And it it's cool, but he gets very little for inspiring, which is fair because his inspiration is kind of trivial. It's going to happen. He doesn't have to deal that damage. You know, you just have to hit someone twice. And usually you won't be one-shotting with this warband because, as I've said, the damage profiles just aren't there. But... It's frustrating when I see an elite warband that has a three smash one damage Grievous attack. You know, this is like, well, if the Grievous hits, he just feels normal. And if you don't crit, you're just sitting there like, I spend an activation with my elite warband to do one damage, maybe. I think you had a great summary. I am absolutely shocked. I am flabbergasted that they printed an orc fighter that's not a goblin with a range one one damage attack action. I thought we had learned from Iron Skull's boys. They have been trolled and become a meme for that very reason. And then here we go, five years into the game, in a four-fighter warband printing absolutely terrible stats on this fighter. It's, it's very depressing. It's super disappointing. Like, they could have just made him two damage with no Grievous and then bumped him up to two damage with Grievous, right? Then that's just better. But I love this comparison you made to Crimson Court. Crimson Court are stat balls. And they do really well. Kaga's Ravagers are stat balls, right? And they do things really well. And for you to inspire a fighter to the base profile of a Razak or an Anias is absolutely perplexing to me. And I have no idea why this happened. Combine that with an inspire condition that... Fine lends itself into the fact that the Warband is trying to do multiple attacks and take out enemy fighters through weight of numbers, but is something that doesn't really happen early on in the game outside of some dice variants to me seems odd. The fact that he's also just one block as well seems a little interesting. Like, fine, if he's the weaker, sneakier guy where he comes in and just stabs people, you could have made him two dodge. You could have given him guard, right? Like, give him that duelist vibe. You know, could have given him assassin as a keyword or brawler. But instead, we just have a very poorly statted fighter that inspires into an average statted fighter in a four-fighter warband that is trying to be aggressive. Yeah, I don't mean I, to I, sound harsh here, but I'm just shocked, honestly. I'm, I'm genuinely confused. I, I feel the same way. And I, I'd raise the point that when you're comparing it to Crimson Court and Anias, Anias has four-move baseline, which is... It may not seem like a lot, but that's massive for his threat range and ability to actually get stuck in in round one. 
one of the bigger issues Kagra has is that they all move three on Inspired. And there's a world of difference in being able to deal with an offset or a board setup that you don't like between three move and four move. So this guy may not even get to charge in round one, you know, and, and fine, if you wait and two other people can hit and take someone out, he'll inspire and then he'll just be okay. Even inspired, as you said, and that's just disappointing, even for an easy inspiration. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm glad we're on the same page and let's move on now to Grack the Hook, who is a brawler. He is the only fighter that does not have the hunter keyword. Grack the Hook is four move, one dodge, four wounds. He has a bite of flail, which is range two, two fury, two damage with the snag reaction. Use this during this fighter's attack action. After the out of action check, push the target one hex and then the combat sequence ends. When Grack inspires through this fighter making the snag reaction, he goes to four wounds, one dodge, four move. So nothing changes on the core profile. And he, his bite of flail goes to two smash instead of two fury. And he gains an additional ability called the cruel whirl, range one, two fury, two damage, scything. The snag reaction also improves to where you can use this during this fighter's attack action after the out of action check, push the target up to two hexes rather than the previous one hex. And then the combat sequence ends. George, what are your thoughts on Mr. Hook? He's a perfect example of what I meant about the support from Herc kind of being priced in. I, I don't know any reason why, again, in an elite warband, a fighter should have a two fury attack that only does two damage. You know, just looking at him, I thought he was going to be two fury, three damage, like Rabidius or the Gore Hulk, and I would accept that. I, I would accept low accuracy as the price of being the fighter's heavy hitter. But this attack action feels like they assumed he's going to be supported or even double supported, and then it's okay. And again, I'll, I'll, I hate to do that because I, I want to love these and I'm going to try, but to compare it to Cunning Crew, Tough Skull starts on range 2, 2 Fury, 2 damage, but Tough Skull has Ensnare and Grievous on Inspired, and Tough Skull's in a warband where when he charges, I can really, really reliably be sending someone else in to give him double supports. I don't think the supports in this warband are nearly as reliable to access. So it's just hard to, to look at that and think, I will inspire this guy a lot because I have to hit his attack. And it's a cool reaction. It's cool that it ends the combat sequence right there because that denies certain reaction windows. But it's disappointing because it's after the out of action check, which requires the deal damage step, which means you can only use this if the attack succeeds. So I think a lot of games you'll kind of do the best you can in round one. You'll launch this guy out with a single support and he'll whiff and then he's just not going to inspire that game. And similarly, once he's inspired, he changes over to two hammers and that's nice, but no more damage. And his scything attack is still two fury. And we see that for a lot of warbands and I get it, they don't want scything to be too reliable, but like it could have been three fury. And, and I think that would have been fine. I, again, once absolutely agree with you, this... Fighter's profile seems like a victim of the whole Herc support design. I like the four move. One dodge seems poor to me. I mean, you could have easily just made him two dodge or kept him on one block. You're absolutely correct that there's no reason he should be at two fury, at least with such weak stats baked around everywhere else. At the risk of not sounding repetitive, 
I do like the ability where he has similar abilities like Hadzu and Tamael, which you can push the target instead of driving them back. That's always really fun. The snag action seems tough to do. If you're really able to get it on, I think it makes Grak quite an interesting control piece if you inspire. Out of all the fighters we've seen, he gains the most from the inspire. But you need some sort of dice manipulation or support for him to reliably inspire, which again seems like a concern. And I'm really struggling with these fighters because I get the whole idea that they're orcs, right? And we oftentimes see destruction warbands that are non-leaders to deal in the fury realm, right? They're kind of wilder. It makes sense. They're more furious. They fight with more aggression and less skill. So I get the fact that these fighters are on fury. But two fury is 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 bad. It's garbage. And it seems to me that maybe there was a sacrifice of theme and mechanic here instead of just playing actually decent stats. You cannot print Crimson Court. You cannot print Kagra's Ravagers. You cannot print Domitan's Storm Coven and then create a four-wound warband or four-man warband that looks like this. I mean, even Ephilim's Pandemonium's Changers have better average stats than no, this do. fighter as a whole. They, they do, and it's very sad. Uh, just on, on these last two fighters, I'll note that their attack actions are depressingly similar to two of the worst fighters from Skavik's Plague Pack. Like you yeah, have, like you have Rickett, cool Rickett, who's range two, two, two fury, one damage, Grievous uninspired, and just inspires to range two, two fury, two damage. But like that's a Skaven. This is Grak to hook, and he's the same uninspired. Jags is three sword, three fury, one damage, Grievous to three fury, two damage. Poxlix from Skabic is three fury, one damage, Grievous inspires to four fury, one damage, Grievous. It's it's just a little frustrating because I, I would like, they're not, they're so close to being what I would call fair and, and strong and viable, but there's just a lot of little inefficiencies baked in where you're like expected that you got the supports, but that means I gave up hitting with Herc. So my reward for giving up hitting with Herc should maybe be a really accurate, still good damage. Instead, it's just a mediocre accuracy, bad damage. Yeah. And I, it's, it's too, also for Grack. What do you want to do with a two damage hit? You might want to go kill a two wound fighter. But if his attack action takes the enemy out of action, there's, you know, they're not there anymore. He can't snag them because it's after the out of action check. So it's just like, I can't finish someone off with this guy. But then, you know, then am I getting supports? Because if I'm finishing them off, at least maybe he's hitting someone I ran someone else next to when I charged. Yeah. It's very fascinating. And I, I wonder what the math they're using here because the core concept of this warband is actually closer to Velmorns than it is to Cunning Crew. And they had just recently updated with the errata and now I understand timelines are different. And so this warband probably was chucked and approved into play, you know, anywhere between nine to 12 months plus ago. So I completely understand that maybe that same line of thinking or maybe even the same team may not be on that. But at the end of the day, like you saw Velmorns failed, right? You make something very similar to it and you allow it to be arguably worse. I'm very surprised. Yeah. I just I just don't think as a whole when evaluating this fight these fighters specifically, you cannot print warbands with stats that don't meet the minimum benchmark. Because yeah. 
I mean, you you would expect that with stats like this, we're going to see some some really bonkers cards kind of counterbalancing it, and and to an extent, you know, that is partially true, but it, it just you know you don't have as much to work with. The stats of a warband are are what you have to work with beyond just their faction cards, and these stats are not not exciting. They're not elite. You know, I I don't know why nobody goes to two defense dice, for example. I don't know why there's no base three damage anywhere. I don't. I know that for a while it felt like they were moving away from printing base 3 damage, and I thought that was healthy for the game. But we we did that, and then we gave base 3 damage back. You know, that that's turned around again. Domitan has two guys with base 3 damage. Ephilim has two sources of accessing base 3 damage. Headsmen have, have damage everywhere. Even Skabic has base 3 damage. You know, Fold have base 3 damage. Sirenai get, you know, three fury, two damage with Grievous on one of their inspired fighters, and their inspire happens every round. It's just hard to... I'm going to do it. I love the models. I'm going to go out there, but it, it is going to feel like I'm fighting uphill against their stats. And I, and can I think do more work with a different warband. Absolutely. And I think that can be the appeal to some people. Like, if you want to take a warband that seems poor on paper and do cool things with it. I mean, we've seen people have success with that in the past. Maybe it just takes the right season, the right nemesis deck, the right set set of cards, the right meta. But, you know, I think, again, I just feel like theme and mechanics took precedence over actual gameplay. And for me, especially because we're in such a critical moment of the game's life cycle where, you know, we're starting to get some resurgence, we need to see some thoughtful and well-designed warbands. And while I do believe that there is some cool ideas that will be represented in this warband and some thoughtfulness, I do believe that the mark was certainly missed here. And I can already call that just from the fighters themselves, let alone looking through the deck. Your deck can be super cool, but if your warband just doesn't do anything, you can't really score anything, right? So I think at the risk of this sounding any more negative than it perhaps may have come off, I think we should move on and talk about our favorites. George, who's your favorite fighter? I'm still going to go with Grack to Hook just because I, I want to do cool things with the snag reaction. I like scything attacks. I really, really like that he's four move off the rip. I think that's important. I think that if there's anyone I want to stack accuracy on and try to get work done with, it's going to be him. And I do like his model the best. Okay, I like that. For me, I'm going to go with Dagok. I think he's the most interesting fighter to me, the leader. They are clearly designed around him getting multiple attacks and so trying to be able to utilize and emphasize that seems quite fascinating to me. While I do think Herc looks the coolest, Dagok seems the most fun to play. And you're probably right about that. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> All righty. Well, let's move on to the Faction Rivals deck. George, why don't you start us off with the objectives? All right. So the very first objective is called Aspirin Killaboss. It's a duel. Score this in an end phase if there is a surviving friendly leader and that leader is inspired for one glory. What do you think? I think it's all right. You are certainly, again relying on variance for your leader to become inspired and given his poor accuracy and the lack of consistency that brings i think building your deck with a card that not only requires your leader to be 
to be alive, but also inspired seems hard to me. Yeah, I, I think the the payout just isn't worth the effort. I think if you overcommit trying to inspire him, it's a recipe for failure. And for One Glory, it's not. For One Glory, I want something that's very reliable, and this is not it. So moving on to the next objective. The plan worked. It's a surge. Score this immediately after you put a second or subsequent scheme under your Warband's plot card in the same phase. For One Glory. Now... George and I do have the benefit of really thinking about the schemes prior to this recording. So I think this one's fine. I think it's very fair. I do think that there is some decent internal synergy of the schemes and decently competitive effects of said schemes as well. So I think this is certainly worth an inclusion in the more limited formats. I agree. I think that most of the schemes, as we'll see, have fairly achievable conditions. And even if you miss that condition, you can play them again or just let it hang out till you get it. So this is, is fine. The hard part may be getting two schemes into your hand in the same phase. But that's kind of a question of, I think, if you're bringing maybe four or five schemes, I think probably five is what I would bring to bring this surge and feel good about it. But because they are reusable, maybe four could be enough. I'll have to play test more. I think it's good. I think if you're doing the scheme thing, you bring this. As we'll see, the scheme package is is pretty solid. And I do like that it's a surge that, in a weird way, is not telegraphed. You can know I have this, but you don't know which schemes I have. And then by the time you know, I may have already scored one scheme's condition, as it were. So next up, another surge. Deceive in Destiny. It's a hybrid. Score this immediately after an enemy fighter's attack action. That targeted a friendly leader, if that leader is surviving, or that had a dice characteristic of three or more and failed. So I do like cards like these. Crimson Court and Mad Mob have similar cards. Now, this is specific to your leader, so this is definitely harder to do, which is interesting. And I'll talk about that why in a moment, but it's a good it's a good search. And the reason being also is because you have that backup plan of dice characteristic of three or more that targeted your leader and failed. Oftentimes when people are coming in for the kill shot, they pump in dice. Now again, a little bit of variance there, but I've seen enough three, four, five dice attacks, six dice attacks that fail. You can always just lucky crit out of it. So I think in terms of a core concept of the card, I think it's solid. The interesting thing that that I'm thinking about right now is that, okay, we've just talked about how bad the fighters are in terms of stats. Your opponent can deny this score for you by just killing the rest of your warband. Sure, your leader can kind of do stuff, but with two damage at base, I'm not really sure if your leader is going to be able to do much. So I think there was a bit of counterplay there. Obviously, probably just killing the leader outright is also another way to counter this card and making sure that you can do that for that one punch. But I think in terms of consistency, it is a high one until you play a canny opponent. I, I think it's pretty solid. I, I just want to note that the second condition is you don't need to target a leader to score it. Uh, it's just if the attack had a dice characteristic of three or more and failed, you score this, whoever they targeted. And I do like it for that reason, because I think a lot of three fury attacks get thrown around, especially early. And, you know, so it's it's decent that you can still score it while they're trying to kill your other guys, because it's after any enemy fighter's attack action if... Either that attack action targeted your leader and didn't kill them, or 
it had three or more dice and it failed. I don't like relying on dice failing. I would like this more, you know, if it could fail when someone YOLOs the two fury or the two smash, but three fury attacks do fail, you know, roughly as often as two smash. And there are a lot of three fury attacks in the game. There's a lot of range three attacks at three fury. So I, I think it's kind of a meta call because some warbands are mostly two dice and their three dice are, are smash, but it's solid. It's definitely playable in Nemesis. And you do have that potential for your leader to become five wounds. So o- overall, I like it. I do appreciate the clarification on the second condition. I do think it bumps up the stocks a little bit more. But I also think outside of... And you know what? This probably just ties into the fact that your warband is already trying to be dice dependent. And leaning into that strategy further may not be of much consequence because you're just hoping that rolls kind of work out for you. Which is, you know, in general, the current concept of Warhammer Underworlds is... Or any dice-based game, rather, right? Like, in theory, the person that rolls better will just win games. You can talk about any game in the Warhammer ecosystem or outside of it. That is generally how most games function. So I can appreciate the simplicity of that design. And I do think you're right. It is better now that I've reread the card properly and realized that the second condition is for dice characters of three or more on anybody. But I also agree that relying on dice just seems tough when you're already relying on dice so much in general, let alone even when you're not. Yeah, definitely. I I don't like being too reliant on dice, and I don't like adding that to my surges. So moving on to one that doesn't need as much dice, Deceptively Brutal. It's a surge. Score this immediately after your warband's fourth or successive attack action in the same phase for one glory. This one actually seems fairly interesting because you have Grax Scything Attack, And if you're playing your leader anywhere near how he seems to be have been designed, you should be able to score this. I will like to point out that the use of successive over subsequent seems interesting to me. When subsequent has been the primary word used for attacks uh, and cards like these. And successive also kind of like can confuse the opponent because you might think successful attack action over subsequent so again very curious on the word choice here but at the end of the day you just got to make four attack actions and i think you can do that through your leader and the scything also you can just use weapon attack upgrades as well like we talked about earlier you can give dagok a range three to help him inspire without over committing him on the board so i kind of like this it's quite doable i think you're going to probably play it quite a bit yeah i i think so too it's definitely I think there's a lot of ways to go about getting it. You can try to score it by taking that scything. If Grax inspired, you can try to score it by setting up a lot of skewer attacks with Dagok. And you can score it by just four charges, right? Your four fighters, four of them charge. It's done. But, uh, you know, that is kind of maybe the weakest way to score it because then you won't see that glory until after your last activation. So it's too late for upgrades. And as we've said, taking four charges with this warband kind of hurts you because then Herc isn't doing his thing. So again, it feeds back into a little bit of anti-synergy within the warband itself. Very but excellent it, point. It's still a good surge, but yeah. Good surge, but curious on why they designed the anti-synergy here as well. Definitely. So next up, Deceptively Cunning. Surge. Score this immediately after your warband's third or successive reaction in the same phase for one glory again. 
So this is really interesting because we haven't talked about the gambits yet, right? Or the upgrades. And out of the four fighters that exist, three of them have reactions. So it's a great way to plan for a card like this. Again, I'm kind of catching the VCT flu here. If you play this at Void Curse, you get even more reactions, right? Which is very exciting. I think this is the first card I've seen where I'm like, yes, auto-include, take it. Because you don't even need to rely on your fighter cards to do it. This is like the first objective card I'm going for. I don't even need to look at the other ones to know that this is the best card probably. Because it's just so doable. I'm going to slightly disagree with you there. It's definitely good. Don't get me wrong. It's definitely doable. But I dislike, you know, make a lot of reactions when I have reactions that require dice rolls, right? Like, Grack is only making that reaction if he hits. Herc, we've already talked about how making his reaction is very, you know, costly. It may seem deceptively not costly when you've got this card, but you're still paying the opportunity cost of not charging with him. And we, we have covered, you know, Dagok's reaction a little bit that it, there are some games where it may be a lot harder than others to really trigger that reaction because these are reactions that are less reliable. And this is a higher reaction requirement than similar surges. Usually we see surges for two or more reactions. Uh, that's the one that Headcracker has. That's the one that Thorns the Briar Queen have. That's even the one that Zandire has. So three reactions is a bit of a bigger ask. And I don't think these reactions are necessarily easier. It's definitely still a very good surge. You can bring reaction gambits. You can bring upgrades that give your fighters more reactions. So I'm taking it almost every game also, but it doesn't feel as good as I'd like it to. No, I agree. And if we really break down the minutia, you're absolutely correct in all of those examples. But given the information we have at present, I think it's certainly fine. And I'm okay, honestly, depending on the way my hand looks at the moment. You know, maybe a common play will be like the Velmorn Warband, where it's like Velmorn Velmor goes in action, gets that, you know, counter. In this particular example, move Herc onto an objective, give somebody that counter, and then that way their initial attack action seems to be more, <laughs> I suppose, accurate. And then from there you can try it and then your boss Dagok maybe gets you that second one and then you have some reactions and the schemes and the power deck and so on and so forth. And, you know, at the end of the day, man, if I got to take a subpar activation to score a glory, I'll do it. Score glory. It's still right. Good. You're doing yeah. it. I don't know. I have a hard time not having a little bit of envy. I'm like, look, everyone else has a better toy. Everyone else has better stats and a better toy. I agree with you. Like, well, I'm not super high on this warband if it wasn't clear already, but. Yeah, we we gotta take positives from what we can work with. Like, as I, I well, will right? be as positive as I can, and and in full transparency, I'm still gonna play a lot of the games with this warband because I love Cruel Boys and I want to find a way to break them open. But I'm afraid it's gonna be like Scabic, where I waited years for another Cruel Boy warband, for another Skaven warband, and then it's just not, you know, the tier I need it to be to really be competitive with. But to be yeah. positive, moving on. Yeah, there's, and, and, there's you know, cool stuff. You mentioned competitive, and I'd like to state this for the for the cast, right? Like our objective on this warband is to play competitively. While we do look at cards from a generalist lens, we do lean naturally from that competitive lens because also this game is marketed as the most competitive miniatures games out there, and honestly, it is the most competitive game that Warhammer makes. Like I don't really care if you disagree. Like 
factually, this is the case, right? You can control the most in this game than other games. I would argue Kill Team is close, though. Um, there are good arguments for that as well. So, completely transparent. We're just yeah. looking at this from a playability perspective and and should you invest in it, right? And so, that's kind of where we're going to look at it. But yes, we do lean competitive, but that doesn't mean like we're the competitive podcast. I mean, I guess we are because people <laughs> brand us as that, but I think we're much more than that. I hope so. And I, like you said, I'm negative just from a place of, can I bring these to a big event and try to win? And is it shooting in my foot to do so? Yeah, but they're still be cool, honest here. You know, I'm still going to play with them. I'm just, when I'm crotchety, it's because I, I will be playing them knowing I could be playing something else and I'm I'm hurting myself by doing this. But, you know, let's, I'm going to get off the negative topic. There's a lot of cool things to enjoy here. Let's Let's try and enjoy them. Yeah, and just my last thought on that is, if you just want to play the game and have fun with your buddies, like this is a great warband to do so. And there are going to be some cool moments that happen, especially, you know, leaning into the dice. Definitely. So have fun with it. And if you're a cruel boy enthusiast like George, yeah, enjoy it. I mean, the minis are really cool too. I think I want to paint them, right? Definitely. I think they look really cool and easier to paint than a lot of warbands. So I'm excited about that. Me too. So next objective, Fink Steela Triumph. Score this in an end phase if one or more schemes are under your Warband's plot card. When you score this objective, if you have four or more schemes under your Warband's plot card, gain two additional glory points for one glory base. I love this card because oftentimes we see three glory cards, the three glory payoff card in all these decks, right? These rivals decks that seem to be difficult as they should be because you're getting a big payout. I think this is actually probably some of the best design I've seen thus far in that it's just concealed itself. It's very theme. It's very cunning crew-y where it's like, you know, I actually ended up springing a trap that was more damaging to you than it appeared. It's more than meets the eye, if you will. So I really do appreciate the flexibility here because, you know, in a pinch, if you need to cycle, cool. I got one glory. I move on. That's my seed. I put on some upgrades. I keep moving and I snowball and hopefully continue to score. However, depending on the game state, you can decide that you can just go for planning or executing on that big three glory push. And I love that. I do think that you're probably going to end up taking four to six schemes, no matter what variation of the format or the games you're playing in. So I think this is something that can be done consistently. But again, I just love the flexibility where it's like, you know what, I'm just going to score this early, get glory and move on. I completely agree, and I think you summed it up well. This is a very flexible card. I think if this just said three glory for four schemes, I wouldn't find it very playable. But because you can have this in round one and be like, you know what, I'll take my glory. Or you can draw this late and say, this game didn't go so well. I don't want to spend activations drawing for more schemes. I want to try to get kills to deny enemy stuff. I'll still score this for one. It's an excellent card. And I, I like the, uh, you know, Fink Stealer. Got to steal their finks so probably an end phase i play almost every time with these guys yes next objective cruel tactics it's a surge hybrid score this immediately after a friendly fighter's attack action if two or more friendly fighters supported that attack action or that was your warband's third or subsequent supported attack action in the same phase for one glory i can't help but slightly lament that this is not a cunning crew card to be fair, Cunning Crew have a uh, basically have this 
No, absolutely. But it just works so well for them, right? So going back to this card in general, I still think it's pretty solid, right? You have a lot of ways to support fighters. I think just going off the fighters cards themselves, probably you do this is you do some sort of reaction with Herc and then you use another fighter's move action to trigger Dagok's attack action and there you go. That's you scored the card. Great. And I think that's actually a very reliable play pattern, honestly, because it doesn't say successful attack action. You just make the attack action that is supported. Third or subsequent supported attack action also could work if you're really just in a scrum where you're just both slapping the crap out of each other in the midboard or at the edge of someone's territory. So I think it's fine. Again, I just can't but help thinking about Void Curse Thralls because it helps even more so with the primary condition. So, and guys, the reason I'm thinking about Void Curse Thralls so much is that I've been helping people prep for LVO and in Grand Cherokee Open. And so everyone's like, can you play VCT? So I've just become so top of mind for me, intimately familiar with that deck, right? To where I just can't help but compare it to everything I look at. And now I completely understand why you and Mark function in that manner. It's just so fun. And my big dilemma with this card and this warband is, do I curse Dagok or do I curse Herc? Because yeah. if I curse Dagok, I can reposition where I'm poking from. But if I curse Herc, I can reposition the supports so everyone gets a support. And I, I do like that that's actually something I have to think about, and this is an excellent surge. I do think it's a little bit of work, just because of their mechanics compared to Cunning Crew, but it's definitely something you'll want to play for. Like we said, their their accuracy is lackluster because it feels like the need for support was baked in, was priced into their you know stat costs. So you're gonna want to do this. So this is a surge that I like because it tells me to score me play the way you need to be playing. Even if it feels like I have to do extra work, really, I'm doing the work that I ought to do if I want to hit my attacks. Right. So the next objective, cruelest of them all. It's a surge hybrid. Score this immediately after. A friendly leader's attack action takes an enemy fighter out of action. Or a friendly fighter's attack action that results in a critical hit takes an enemy fighter out of action for one glory. So right off the rip, it's a kill surge, right? So... Some people are adverse to kill surges. Some people like leaning into them. It really just depends on your play style. Overall, I think it's a very decent card, right? Like your leader killing somebody is kind of what this warband wants you to do. So it's fine whether he actually does that or not, you know, is up for debate on terms of the dice variance and things like that. And again, you're leaning a little bit more into the dicey side of things with any other fighter resulting in a critical hit. But if you really think about it, you know, it's it happens quite often. Like, a lot of the attacks that actually succeed are because of a crit. So, you just have to make sure that you kill them. My concern is the low base damage of the Warband, with it being 2, 2, and 1. Right? So, that's kind of your concern here. But you are kind of crit fishing, especially if you're playing with Grack. So, interesting to think about. Obviously, this card stocks, ramps up a little bit when you're a leader's inspired. Yeah, I would like it a bit more if... um they had more three dice characteristics on Inspired, you know, because right now we're working off of a lot of fighters with two dice on Inspired, and that's just poor odds to crit. If if we saw, you know, Grack could be three Fury Inspired, two damage, and I think that would be fine. And then I'd be much more like, well, I'll take, you know, a 42%, 43% chance to crit. But it's, 
less than 30% to crit for any of your two dice attacks. And obviously less than that for Dagok's one dice attack, although if it's Dagok getting the kill, you just score it. So it's okay as kill surges go. And this may just be me, but I know there will be times where I hit without critting and I'm just like, what? Why? For, for taking an attack with somebody else. So it's fine. There are better kill surges. I think if I put this with Void Cursed, I'd rather have Involuntary Interdiction, for example. But there's definitely worse kill surges too. In any case, let's just move on to the next objective. It's called Cunning Collector. Score this in an end phase if one or more enemy leaders are out of action for one glory. I'm a bit dubious when it comes to cards like these. I think in general, leaders are usually the strongest fighters in a warband. So I find it to be tough. It's also kind of a tough meta call in general nowadays because Domitans is so popular and they kind of, you know, throw the leader title around quite a bit. Obviously, killing Domitan means that you can still score this, but I'm all right. It's a kill card that requires killing a specific fighter rather than... I would rather this be two fighters over just the leader, right? So it seems tough, but it also makes sense because orcs tend to go and fight the strongest dude out there. So I can appreciate it, but it's not the type of one glory card I'm looking for. I mean, even if you think about it with the bounty, it's two glory card, and I still don't know if it's that exciting. Yeah, I wish this was worth two on its own. This is fine, I think, for extremely aggressive warbands that want to just dive from the beginning because you just score it, you know, later you cycle into it and your your mission was to murder the leader. Like with Far Striders, I don't mind this end phase, for example. But I'm not super positive on it because of everything you said. It's a lot of work for a kind of small payoff. In its favor, you can cycle into it even if you're tabled, if you already killed their leader. And I do think that the meta call aspect of Domitan is very valid to bring up because Domitan is probably easier to score this against than any other warband if you kill their inspired fighter, which at the same time is kind of not always the right thing to do, right? Because usually the inspired fighter is the one with two block and you're better off killing the uninspired one. So it's definitely tricky. It's definitely not enough of a payoff and it's not the playstyle I want to use with this warband. Correct. Next objective, Legendary Cruelty. Score this in an end phase if each enemy fighter has one or more wound counters and or is out of action for two glory. I'm happy because this card and the next two are two glory cards, which you're probably wondering where those were. Unfortunately, this card is actually very meta dependent, but also like, I feel like this is another victim, a casualty of them overestimating what the leader can do, what Dagot can do. Because in practice, it's not going to be this efficient. And you want to compare this to warbands that have a lot of ping damage? Let's talk about Stormcoven. Let's talk about Gore Chosen. Even they have hard time doing stuff like this, right? And they're designed to do chip damage. This warband, I guess, suppose is designed, but it's a lot less consistent which causes the concerns that this is not a reliable card and something that you should probably avoid in any sort of competitive environment. Yeah, I really don't like this, especially, as you mentioned, you know, Damatan and Gorchosen. Gorchosen in particular have a lot of objectives rewarding them for damaging, you know, spreading the damage around. 
lots of wounded enemies or wounded fighters. And even for them, it's occasionally a misplay because you're better off just killing the wounded one than trying to wound somebody else also. And you kind of suffer for it if the dice don't work out. And you're like, well, I scored Grim Satisfaction, but now I got tabled because I left their fighter alive. And this is a warband that doesn't have the ping capabilities, that doesn't have the damage capabilities, and really I, I don't think can afford to be spreading damage around instead of chipping down one fighter at a time. Also, I mean, that's how you inspire... Um, I can't believe I'm blanking on the name right now. But that's how you inspire the, the stabby guy. He need an enemy with Jags. one or more wound. Yes, Jags. Thank you. You need to kill the wounded guy, not wound someone else. This is just, it's so much work. It's so unreliable. So I, it's a pass, which is to say that it failed at being an objective that would get into my deck. <laughs> Next up, Legendary Cunning. Score this in an end phase. If three or more schemes are under your Warband's plot card for two glory. So I know that some people only like to take end phase cards that they can score in every single round of the game. And I think that's a fair way to approach most cards. I'm generally okay with having one end phase card that maybe you can't reliably score in round one, but sometimes you can. That's draw dependent. For example, my championship winning Domaton's deck had the ice counter cards, right? Which oftentimes you're not scoring that in round one, but that's okay because you can hold on to it and get it reliably later. So I like that this card exists. I think it's fine. I think it's a great late game card. It's a card that you can score even when all your fighters are dead. It's a card that you can rely on if you're playing into the schemes, which you don't have to, which I like that they allowed you the option to not have to play into them if you don't want to. But why play this warband if you're not going to play schemes? I think this is perfectly serviceable. I don't think it's like an ST tier or A tier card, but I certainly think I'd be happy with including it in my deck. Yeah, this is kind of, I think, the um, I'm playing with schemes. This is where your commitment is if you take this one. I think the Surge, uh, funny enough, is pretty reliable with a smaller number of schemes just because you can keep recycling until you find your other one or two. And the, the other end phase one is good for just one glory for one scheme. So this is the one that demands a certain higher minimum level of scheme commitment. And I do like when you put it all together, there's six glory in schemes across three objectives. And that's a, a reasonable kind of egg to sit on for committing to that playstyle. All right, the next objective, storied stabbing. It's a duel. Score this in an end phase if the number of friendly fighters out of action is lower than the round number and the number of enemy fighters out of action is equal to or greater than the round number for two glory. So I, I think historically we've talked a lot about cards like this in the past and so I won't reiterate that too much. The one thing I'd like to point out is that both conditions are very tough. A lot of what this warband wants to do is interact and fight and be supported when fighting your opponent. So you're going to have casualties. There is going to be attrition on both sides. And for you to sit there and be like, hmm, I'm going to try to have less friendly fighters than the round number is tough unless your dice are hot or your opponent's dice are a little cold. But then again, if that's already the case, then you're winning the game anyways, right? Like, I can't believe how many times I've said that on this podcast now, but I'll say it again. And the other condition is just tough. Like, don't put this card in your deck. Yeah, it's, it, it's too bad. And it's a shame because I think if the first condition was equal to or lower than the round number, I would give it a chance. It would still be worse than Rapid Strike. 
But I, I would give it a chance on the, the odds of I'm willing to risk losing one fighter and kill one enemy in round one and get two glory. Yes. You know, I, I would play for that. And I would play for two in round two and vice versa, but not like this. Yeah. Well, George, that's going to be the end of the objectives here. So let's talk about your favorite objective card here. Oh, it's got to be Fink Steal a Triumph. I like the schemes and I like the way that that card is designed. Absolutely. It's my favorite as well, but in order to pick a different card for more variation, I am going to go with Deceptively Cunning, where you get third or successive reaction in the same phase. Yeah, and that's definitely a cool, fun one too. Awesome. Well, now we're going to go to the Gambit cards here, and I'm going to take my time reading them, and George will then have the first chance to respond. So we're going to start with Bust Their Ears. It's a scheme. In the turn in which the card is turned face up, friendly fighters supported by Herc are considered to have one additional supporting fighter. Condition. A friendly fighter makes an attack action supported by Herc. This is interesting. You know, it's cool. It's a good way to score that for a friendly fighter made an attack with two or more supporting fighters. It's a very, very easy condition. And we'll see that that's kind of a trend for most of the schemes. When you flip this face up, you're almost certainly going to be scoring that, so to speak, unless just Herc is nowhere near where he needs to be. So there is an element of skill in kind of playing ahead of yourself and thinking forward, but I, I like it. I like the extra supports. It's, it's not amazing. I wish it was just baked into Herc, but it's something that will let you actually hit your two-sword attack once in a while. I agree, and it's a great tech card for going for cruel tactics as well which is the card that requires two supports which certainly very able to do i think it's fine it is a little restrictive though because herc if he's dead you can't use it and it can actually cause you to lose out on some of your end phase scoring depending on how lean you are with your schemes as well so it's definitely something that you need to think about it's not a bad card but I feel like maybe it's the one that you could drop the moment you upgrade yourself into Nemesis or Championship. Yeah, and it is just a little bit on the lower end of, of output for a Gambit. It's not even from 0 to 1 support, it's from 1 to 2 supports and only within 2 of Herc. And you had to have gotten you know that Herc bubble set up or have Herc in the right spot, so it is a bit of a low power level for a Gambit if it wasn't a scheme. The next card is Gutum Scheme. In the turn in which this card is turned face up, friendly fighters range 1 and range 2 attack actions have Grievous 1. On a crit condition, a friendly fighter's range 1 or range 2 attack actions takes an enemy fighter out of action. So yeah, it's alright. Again, it's a fine condition. You're going to do it at some point, and if you're at all in the game, right? I mean, you're never going to win a game where you can't take anybody out with your range 1 or 2 attacks ever. But... Grievous, again, I wish this was just plus one damage. I wish it wasn't Grievous because most of your fighters aren't really reliably benefiting from Grievous until they're already inspired. But it's fine. It is reusable. You know, if you didn't kill, but you still had that Grievous proc, or even if you didn't, you could take it back and then play it again to try later and still score it. So it's okay. It's kind of, again, I think they overvalued the impact of this card when they were statting the fighters. And it makes sense if they imagined, oh, all the fighters will always have Grievous forever because of this card. And that's why they kept their damage so depressingly low. 
Right. But I also think that this could have been restricted, right, to overcome that. So I cha- I struggle with the way that this has been designed. Overall, though, I think your game plan, right, is to make range one and range two attack actions to kill enemy fighters. So I think it's fine. The ideal scenario is Dagok is inspired with three smash and hopefully you get inspired and he does three damage. The thing is, is that I think thinking more and more about it as we've been talking about this warband, this warband relies on weight of attacks, but it's so, so, so important to have that three damage spender. And when I say spender, like big attack, right? That's my other game brain kicking in a little bit, but you need three damage often in order to remove threats in some of the biggest medicals today, some of the more popular warbands. And the fact that you don't have this innate is very unfortunate. So it's fine. Just leaning into the dice a little bit, I guess. Next card we have is Cruel Teamwork. Choose two friendly fighters. Put each chosen fighter one hex. Yeah, this is great. This is going in every single one of my decks with them every single time. It's two side steps. It is a little bit bad in that if I only have one surviving fighter, I can't play it because it doesn't say choose up to two. But they all have four wounds. I'll, I'll take that chance. It helps me get supports. It helps me make up for their low move speed on Inspired. It does a lot. It helps you get Herc in the right spot. It helps you keep Dagok where he needs to be to keep poking. There's there's no universe where you don't want this card. I agree. Uh, nothing more to add, really. This is a shoo-in. Next card here is Cut and Trap. This is a trap. Reaction. Play this after an enemy fighter's move action that ends adjacent to one or more friendly fighters. Roll a magic dice. On the roll of channel, deal one damage to the fighter. So effectively a 50-50. Just no. Just no. Why? Not only do I have to wait for my opponent to move next to me, which is a big ask in this meta with fighters with range 2 and 3 attacks. I have to roll a dice when they do. And then only half the time do I get the payoff, and the payoff is just one damage. Like, yeah, it's a reaction, but it's not a good one. This is not going in my deck. George, I completely agree with your assessment here. I think for a little spoilers, this is the only ping damage card that this warband has. It is a 50-50. When you compare this to the fact that Quick Roots exists in the game, and the fact that it's an automatic version of this makes me feel a little disappointed. I do think maybe if you decide to pair this Warband with Daring Delvers, you could maybe have this interesting after my opponent moves ping damage attack, but it's still not reliable. So I I just think it's pretty bad. I agree with you, George. It's just a little disappointing considering how many great ping cards exist out there and how much more consistently reliable they are. And the fact that you have to roll a 50-50 just seems bad. Definitely. Not a lot more to say than that. Moving on, we have Outfinkum Scheme. In the turn in which this card is turned face up, when an opponent plays a power card, draw two power cards. The condition to fulfill the scheme is you draw your second or subsequent card since this card was turned face up, rather other than by using a player action. This is pretty cool. It's a pretty interesting effect we haven't seen before. Drawing cards is always nice. Obviously, we only get to draw the cards if our opponent lets us by playing a card, but kind of blocking an opponent from a whole power step is a very powerful effect. You can always pick this back up and play it down again if you know you want to threaten to block them for another power step. 
And you can still meet that condition a number of ways because there are some cards in the deck that feed into drawing cards other than by using your action. Yeah, I think it's very interesting, actually, because it actually opens up quite a bit of a mind game between you and your opponent. I think it's safe to say that this scheme will probably be often included in Stablad's decks. So the moment someone sees a scheme go face down, then they have to really think about, okay, am I going to play all my power cards, maximize that turn here? Because knowing that I can give my opponent a card advantage can be something that could turn them off from putting the cards down. So to me, it, it it seems like maybe I'm getting too deep in the minutia of that. I mean, overall, at the end of the day, like drawing two cards is great. Awesome. It's going to help you cycle. It's going to help you get through your deck. I just wonder if if I'm just thinking too competitive, like too detailed here. But overall, like I feel it's fine. I like it. I, th- I think it's a bit win-win more than other kind of your opponent chooses cards that we've seen where maybe there's an obvious better choice for them because skipping all power cards for a power step not just ploys you know no spells no pinging me no putting an upgrade down on your fighter or i draw cards you know they may have stuff they need to play to score but now you draw two more cards those could be schemes those could be just gas they could be upgrades that you really needed so it's a very interesting mind game in any case and it's a cool scheme yeah it's just the face-up part really right is like they see it and then they can, can directly control it. So, Yeah, but then I can, you know, get in their head. No, absolutely. I love getting people's heads, so. Okay, next one. Rushem, Scheme. In a turn in which this card is turned face up, plus one move to friendly fighters, condition of friendly fighters move action ends five or more hexes from where it started and adjacent to one or more enemy fighters. Yeah, this is a pretty cool scheme. I would love if it was more than plus one move. That feels just a little bit underwhelming. At this, because usually we see, you know, plus two move from a surprise gambit or even plus three recently with breakneck. But overall, I enjoy it. And I do think that something I need to play test more to understand fully is the impact of the fact that that plus one is hidden effectively from my opponent, right? When I play this card, it's face down. They don't know I'm going to have plus one move next activation until that activation. And by then, it's too late for them to use a push or something or manipulate where their fighters are so this could help me get a surprise charge off in a way that plus two move might not yeah no i think that's probably the primary use case and as intended by the name of the card i will say if you just think about it five move like moving exactly five hexes and being adjacent to an enemy fighter is a little harder than you might think at first so just take that into a consideration in order for you to actually fulfill the scheme if that is your objective, right? If your goal is just to get the blanket plus one move, hey, it's fine. But if you're playing into the scheme package, think about it a little bit because it can be interesting in some situations. Like, I guarantee you, you'll have a neat situation where it's like, damn, I can't complete the scheme. Yeah, the condition is definitely deceptively difficult because it's not that you move through five hexes, you have to be five hexes away. And so it's tough because uninspired only uh, Grack can move five with this and once you're inspired you're probably already close to people so it's going to be difficult to say oh i moved five hexes and got next to you because i was far away but this is one that i think is more of a candidate for just reusing it a bunch 
to make up for their low move speed. And this is where we see again that I think their stats were hindered by kind of all of the schemes give them stats and it's important to balance them with that in mind. But I think they balance them as if they would have all of the schemes all of the time. And that's just not how the schemes work. You know, their fighter cards make a lot more sense if we imagine that they have plus one move in Grievous, right? Mm, good call out. Okay, well, let's move on. Scarum. In the turn in which this card is turned face up, each time your warband pushes an enemy fighter, you can push that fighter one additional hex. Condition, you must push an enemy fighter two or more hexes. This is pretty cool. It's interesting, again, because turn does include your power step after your activation. So, you know, this makes stuff like no safe ground in Toxic Terrors or involuntary advance in Void Curse Thralls a lot more interesting when all of a sudden they push an enemy twice as much. It's obviously really, really interesting with Grack because he can do his reaction and then he pulls them two uninspired or three while he's inspired. And Grack is the obvious way to complete this. I will say that as written, I think this does work with drive back. So you can meet that condition just by, you know, tying on an attack with one of your fighters and pushing them an extra hex. And that is kind of cool that it's like pseudo knockback in that case. And also I think the additional push you know, we need rules clarification whether when you drive them back, you're pushing them one away, but then the additional one also has to be away or not. You know, that needs to be confirmed, but it's it's still cool. Again, it's, it's hard to evaluate because I think if this was just a gambit that didn't say scheme on it, I'd be like, why would I ever play this? So I'm trying to keep these in mind with there's six glory at the end of this tunnel, and I yeah. can still use this effect as a surprise. Like you thought you were safe from that lethal, but I put you in it. Exactly. And I think that's a well summarized, George. In fact, not much to add, really. Just think about and consider that some people are running cards like Dark Water Anchor that allow their fighters to cannot be pushed. However, I actually like this card quite a bit just because it's the easiest condition of all the schemes so far. Next card is Stacking the Odds. Pick one, draw an objective card, then put one objective card from your hand on the bottom of your objective deck, or put two power cards from your hand on the bottom of your power deck, then draw two power cards. I think this is pretty awesome. I love effects like this. They're very interesting. We don't see them much in Underworlds. This is like a better version of a card that is in Cunning Crew that I love, but struggle to fit sometimes because of the Rivals decks that I need to pair them with in Nemesis. Uh, it's called Overthink. It basically is just the first effect from this. I think this is very cool because of that second effect. If it was only the first effect, it's harder. You'd only really want it if you're all in on schemes and you have like a round three objective card that, you know, it's helpful to put it on the bottom. But the second effect is, is quite decent, I think, just to kind of recycle your hand. You may have two upgrades that you don't want now or ever. And it's another way to complete outfinkum scheme because yes. you do draw two power cards with this. Absolutely. Yeah, great summary again, George. Outfinkum for sure. You can get that condition. What I really like is, and this happened to me quite a bit at the World Championship of the Warhammer, is you draw, you toss away a hand of like four upgrades and you draw into like three or four more upgrades and you're like, damn. And so cards like these can really help you overcome that and add more butter to your deck to make it smooth, right? If you want to use that analogy. I also think sometimes towards the end of the game, you're really searching for that one gambit that can maybe help you turn the tide or that one upgrade. And this helps you do that. And the best part is, is if you draw those two cards and maybe one of them is good and one of them you didn't really like, you can just put that card back at the bottom of your deck, right? Which helps you get closer to the cards that you really wanted to see. So for all these reasons, I actually think this card is quite 
cunningly good, and I love that. Well said. Next one is Stolen Know What's Reaction. Play this after a friendly leader's attack action takes an enemy fighter out of action. Draw two power cards. This is interesting. Again, it's hard because I don't feel like Dagok is necessarily especially reliable at taking enemies out of action. We've already seen that the deck wants to do that. And maybe if you decide, well, it wants to do that, I have to lean into that. This is a very strong effect. It's a bit narrow in that it's restricted to him, but that's also good because then you could salvage it if he does die. So it's still kind of, it draws one or it draws two. Or you're in the bad case where he never hits an attack and then it never draws any cards. But I like it. I'm not sure I'll fit this. I like the previous card a lot better as far as card draw goes. Yeah, it's really interesting because this warband, and I'm trying to avoid repeating some of the things you're saying here, this warband wants you to really get the most bang for your buck with Dagok. So I think naturally you might just try to Voltron Dagok as best as you can with a Nemesis deck pairing that allows you to do so. So I think it's fine if that's the game plan that you're going for. You're right that at the end of the day, the salvage just allows you to cycle one for one, which means it's a bit of a wash. But I think this is certainly doable. When it goes off, it's very strong because yes, you're right. Again, helps you score out Finkum. I like it, honestly. And I think in certain games, this deck is going to feel really good just because you can get to the end of it, which is a boon that a lot of decks can't. Yeah, and that does make up a little for saying that the schemes are slightly, you know, underperforming for one gambit. But if you're going to see all 10 gambits instead of only seeing, say, seven, maybe that underperformance is enough to balance it out, at least in Nemesis, where it's hard to get to the bottom of your power deck. In Champ, maybe a little trickier, but we'll see. Indeed. And speaking of getting kills, let's talk about Take That Head scheme. When this card is turned face up, choose an enemy fighter in the turn in which this card is turned face up, plus one dice to friendly fighters attack actions that target the chosen fighter condition the chosen enemy fighter is taken out of action. This is, you know, the, the scheme we were waiting for. This is an effect that they desperately need. And and it's the final piece of the puzzle. Like, I think that their card attacks were balanced with like, oh yeah, they'll have plus one dice all the time. They won't, you know, but but people were thinking that they would. I do like that this is for the whole turn. So in theory, if you're in Void Cursed Thralls, this can give plus one dice to the attacks you make as part of Void Cursed Assault. This can't modify uh, Dagox Skewer, so really that's the only shout-out, is if there's any type of deck you can pair them with that lets them make an attack action in the power step, it'll buff all the attacks against that chosen fighter. And that's interesting. And in, in general, just being able to say, I put plus one dice down, I didn't kill you, but I'll pick it back up so I can have plus one dice again the next time I try to kill you, is decent. I agree. I do wish, again, this is another example of cards that you mentioned, right, again, just now, that feel like they were weakened just because of the whole scheme package or things like that. Personally, like, why couldn't this just been plus one blanket and then condition an enemy fighter is taken out of action? I just don't like the fact that we're telegraphing the target. Now, the right thing to do is play this in an environment in which maybe an opponent has charged, then you reveal the card, and now they just really can't do much. But also they can just move away, right? If it's towards the end of the game, they can just try to run away from you. So I think it's fine. It's not a bad card. I just think it just could have been better without making it too strong. So it's fine. 
Yeah, definitely. Still, I would play Gambit plus one dice to the first attack in the next activation. In Nemesis, anyway. And this is essentially that, but better, because I can reuse it. And it would last for multiple attacks if I have that Void Cursed, you know, Assault or, or some other power card that lets me do that. Or even an upgrade. Yeah. And I think this is a scheme that actually really rewards you for not playing towards scoring schemes. Meeting those conditions. Because it's just a nice recycle, which helps with that accuracy, which we've lamented so much about. But when you're trying to do that and play towards schemes, that's when I kind of struggle a little bit. I mean, you know, Ephilim is really popular, right? And, you know, I mentioned this very recently. Like, whenever you play Ephilim, just kill Ephilim, right? Everyone says this. Everyone knows this. So in that situation, that's probably fine. Like, if you're just trying to take out Ephilim, your opponent knows that too. Hey, so there's no surprise I'm trying to kill this one particular fighter, so. Interesting to think about, but that leads us to the end of the Gambits here. And George, I'd like to hear your favorite. Oh, it's Outfinkum. Oh, no, excuse me. No, it's not. It's Stack, stack the Odds. Into odds. <laughs> I agree. I like Stack em the Odds as well. I like that we're kind of on the same wavelength here in the cards that we think are our favorites. But in an effort to create more conversation, I'll probably go with Scarum. Scarum's definitely cool. I think there's going to be a lot of niche, interesting applications for it. And... I will say now, just while we're talking about pairings, if I do move away from Void Curse with these guys, I think Toxic Terrors is very interesting and potentially strong. Yeah, And being able to say, no save ground you for two hexes, take a stagger, get in that lethal, your life is bad now. <laughs> I agree, 100%. Okay, well, let's end things off with these upgrades, my friend. Well, here we go. First up, Big Bully. Plus one wounds. It's restricted to Herc, Jags, or Grack. So everyone but Dagok can have this, and it would also make them large. There's not a lot to say. It's, sorry, you talk, not me. <laughs> I mean, that's okay. It's totally fine. At the end of the day, like, you're absolutely correct, and your thoughts are valid, and there's really not much to add. It's plus one wounds. We like it, I think. Indeed. It does limit, actually, if you want to get into a little bit of minutia here, some of the pairings that you can use. Like, immediately I think about Frostworm Cloak from Force of Frost. You know, like you already can't put that on your leader because if they inspire, then you lose it. And that can hurt with your ice counter generation. But Herc, Jags, and Grack, I mean, it's fine, but they're only one block. So putting them large and giving them two glory bounty seems unfortunate. I would have really liked if this was unrestricted because turning your leader to a six wound monster on the off chance that he survives and becomes inspired also, another off chance, is exciting. Yeah, and he is the one on the art, so we should be mad about that. Indeed, yeah, good point. Next up, Death Proof. Plus one defense while one or more of your warband schemes are persisting. What do you think? I find this actually to be quite odd. So, schemes start persisting at the beginning of your turn. So... I don't know. I just, I don't know if you're really going to benefit. Like if your opponent goes first, you don't really get the benefit of this. I don't know. And also if you're like trying to play for schemes, trying to meet the conditions of schemes seems more important. So I only get plus one defense when a scheme is active. Seems a little, I think it's just odd, man. Like I think it's fine, but I'm not really a big fan of this particularly because it just seems like a little bit of anti-synergy. Yeah, I think it's a bit weird since if I complete my scheme, it's not persisting anymore. 
and if I didn't complete it, I might want to pick it up rather than leaving it persisting. So, you know, it's I can see times I'll want this, and I think depending on the deck I pair it with, I won't have anything better to take. And the option at least is nice to leave someone, you know, on two dice. But again, it feels like when this was designed, they imagine, oh, there will always be a scheme and they will always have plus one on one guy. And instead, I would have much rather just discard not exist and they all inspire to, at least half of them inspire to some flavor of two dice, like Crimson Court do. Agreed. But next up, Extra Cunning. This fighter's attack actions have ensnare. Upgrades like these make me think about why they exist, to be honest. Like, this is such a bad card. If any designer or in-person able to really think about has influence on how these cards and games are designed is listening, please stop printing cards like these because they bring absolutely almost zero value to the game. If you're going to make an upgrade, have ensnare make it do something else as well. I really thought we had moved away from cards like these and here we are seeing them again and again. And, and it again. just seems like wasted text. This is wasted paper, truly. Yeah, I, I think it's a, a real shame, especially since, you know, e even stuff that just says cleave is iffy. You know, there's a case for it as a meta call, but ensnare is, is precisely, you know, two thirds, actually half, it's half as good as cleave because it shuts down your opponent's defense dice half as much, right? Because there's only one dodge symbol versus two block symbols. So it, it yeah, I, I could rant about how annoyed I am by it, but I will move on. Yeah, I think I got the rant part covered pretty well. Yes, thank you. Next up, extra scary. Reaction. After this fighter's activation, in which this fighter made one or more attack actions, stagger one adjacent enemy fighter. It's fine. I think the best use case is like you miss your attack. At least you get some sort of stagger to help you make it harder to hit them later. But honestly, I don't like this card personally, and I would skip it because it just isn't something that's like when you talk about building your upgrade deck, you want 10 great upgrades. This is not a great upgrade. This is not even a good upgrade. So for that reason, I'll pass. Yeah, and I, I hate that it's specifically after an activation with an attack. You can't even just say, well, I'll move and still stagger you instead of barging. Correct, it's, yeah. It's so annoying. Moving on. Finkin' Muscles. This upgrade is restricted to your leader, and it's a reaction. After your... It gives a reaction, excuse me. After your pass action, pick any number of your warband schemes that are persisting and or in your discard pile. Add those cards to your hand and break this card. Absolutely no thanks. I'm never going to take a pass action in this game unless I've already lost the game and I'm just trying to withhold information from my opponent. I can see the intent here of recycling a scheme, but no scheme in this deck, no card in this deck, no fighter in this deck, no fighter card scheme in any deck truly is ever worth you taking a pass action to recycle that, but also through an upgrade. No thanks. Yeah. I think that, you know, the intent is interesting, the design is interesting, but it's it doesn't nearly do enough, and I don't, my schemes are not going to get discarded. They're going to get completed, or they're going to get picked back up and left face down till the next round. Um, You know, it's kind of interesting if you put them with Force of Frost that this makes time freeze better, but I don't play two-card combos where the payoff is minuscule. Yeah. <laughs> nope, no two-card combos. 
So next up, Intimidatin. Minus one dice to a minimum of one from adjacent enemy fighters' attack actions that target this fighter. This is interesting. Now, it specifically states that target this fighter, so you're not getting that little aura slash bubble that some other cards do provide, which is unfortunate, lowers the stocks on it. I think, additionally, in this current meta, right, so for this meta, we see a lot of range 2 and range 3, so not very prominent here. I still think it's going to make your Nemesis deck, and obviously you have to play it in Rivals, so I think it's fine, it's better meta or matchup dependent. Obviously, works pretty decently with VCT as well, but outside of that, I think it's fine. It's, it's fine. Like, yeah. I just wish it didn't say that target this fighter, and it would feel more like, oh yeah, I'm supporting by making the guy bad at attacking. You know, I, I I think they should have learned by now that either don't make it require adjacency if it's only the fighter it's on. If you're going to make it require the position, let it affect all the attack actions. But maybe that's just me. Yeah. Next up, Keen Finca. This upgrade gives you an action. Discard a power card, then draw two power cards. I like the intent here. The assumed intent is that they want you to be able to access all your schemes so that you can play into the scheme strategy. I don't think it's worth it on an upgrade, though, unfortunately. So I'll not be playing this card either. Yeah, an upgrade that costs you an action, right? You know, you, you have to spend a whole turn. It's It's too much to do. It's interesting, but it... It's not even, you can already spend an action to draw a power card. So spending an action to, putting an upgrade to spend your action to draw one more, but you also have to discard one is not even, you know, much of an improvement in your output. All right, next upgrade, Cruel Braggart. Reaction, after you put a scheme under your Warband's plot card, gain one glory point and break this card. I actually like this card, especially because I played... And I forget the name from Force of Frost, but it's when you have an ice counter, you Chasm gain key. an extra glory. Chasm key. There you go. Thank you, George. So I think it's totally fine if you're leaning into the scheme strategies or you happen to get a condition, netting you one extra glory at the end of the game is very powerful, especially in limited formats where glory ceilings tend to be lower. I like it in Nemesis for sure. Yeah, I think it's cool. A little annoying that it requires you to break it, you know, and have it on when you put the scheme under your power card under your plot card on the other hand it's cool because that means you get the glory even if all your fighters die you could have already gotten the glory from this and i think that will be the biggest strength of this warband is that including this now they have seven glory in completing their schemes if you can complete four schemes you have seven glory if this was down for one of them and then you just cycle your deck to the end that's a pretty strong bomb to sit on you know hypothetically Yes. As far as a safe baseline. Yeah, for sure. Mork's Mangler. This fighter's range 1 and range 2 attack actions have the following abilities, depending on how many schemes are under your Warband's plot card. For 1 or more, Stagger, 2 or more, Cleave, and 3 or more, you get Grievous 1. I don't mind cards like these. I actually find them to be quite interesting, but I think the effects and the payouts for this card are on the weaker side. Especially starting with Stagger, like that just seems off. I think the I think you start to see that breakpoint of value at two plus where you get cleave and stagger, which obviously is also matchup dependent as well. But ultimately, like it also is draw dependent, right? Like some schemes are harder to scheme than others. So if you get some harder schemes early on, or maybe you don't get schemes early on and you get this card early, it can feel kind of bad and you might toss it. 
And like, if you're going to get three schemes, like it's actually fairly doable to do two screens, but if you're going to reward someone for taking this card, spending a glory point to put it on a fighter, and then having them stay alive as you've scored three schemes, why just not plus one damage instead of Grievous? You know, or why not this fighter is on guard or this fighter is immune to stagger or this fighter cannot be driven back? Like there's so many other options they could have picked, but the fact that it's just stagger clique grievous one, like yeah. if you don't take this, I'm okay with it. Like it's fine, but eh. I mean, I, I feel like on some level I will have to take this because they're that thirsty for damage, even Grievous. But I I feel like this could have been plus one damage on the third one, and that would be fine. I also feel like if this had text that it could modify Dagox's reaction, that would have been interesting and fine. It's just annoying that, like, essentially for Dagox, you know, big value is getting that reaction attack. This card only has the stagger and the cleave because the Grievous can't buff it because it can't modify it. But anyway, we're almost at the last card. Sneaky Git. After this fighter's activation... Sorry, it's a reaction. After this fighter's activation... Push this fighter one hex. Turn of events, we actually do get the best card for last. And it is indeed Sneaky Git. This is great. After your activation, you can just push this fighter. There's so many use cases, so many applications. I don't necessarily have to list them all out. Free pushes are always welcome. And there isn't a limit as well, which is very enticing. I think this is your first upgrade from the faction that you put into the deck. And it will serve you well and help you do things you want to do especially when trying to get supports and things like that. Yeah, Soundless Step is a good card. Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? Definitely okay, well, yeah. George, that's the end of the upgrades. What's your favorite one? Oh, it's tough, but I'm going to go with Sneaky Git. I will also or, agree with you. You know what? I, will, I would like to change mine just in the interest of us having slightly difference. I'm going to say Cruel Braggart. That is my second option, so we are on the same <laughs> wavelength, my dude. Though there's not, it's slim pickings, right? So, Yeah, the, the upgrades are pretty slim, which is, you know, on some level, I guess, nice because it makes it easier to build the deck. <laughs> but no, I'd rather have stronger upgrades. I completely agree. Well, I think we moved faster through the upgrades than I thought we would, but that's totally fine. We're getting close to that time anyway. So, Zach, very quickly, let's talk about good pairings. We've already highlighted Void Curse Thrall, so as the expert over me at least, you can go ahead and maybe give one to two lines on why, and go ahead and follow that into Toxic Terrors as well, since you brought that up too. Sure. Well, Void Curse Thralls, first of all, it gives them a lot of things that they want. It gives them can't be driven back on one of their fighters. They don't care about being forced to one block, because they're all just one defense dice to begin with. And very big one here, besides some nice safe end phases, a couple nice surges, and you know, the incredible Void Curse package. They love extra move actions because of Dagok's reaction attack. He can make that reaction after any friendly fighter's move action. So being able to say, all right, I have a gambit that lets a fighter make a move action. I have two upgrades that let my fighters make move actions can give you some very scary sequences where, for example, let's say I did the work and I got Dagok in position and Herx in position, and then I charge with Jags. Now, Dagok reacts and pokes, and then I can react to Dagok's poke with my guy that has refashion reactions, and they move up, and Dagok reacts and pokes. And then I can react with the guy that has refashion priorities, and they move up, and Dagok pokes again, and now we finally hit the attack that was the initial charge. You know, it, they might all miss, 
or one or two might hit, but it's just enough of a potential like, wow, that's a lot of attacks. I scored my surges to make it very strong. And it also, Void Curse is good at punishing range three. They're weak to range three, right? They have no range three attack. So being able to say, you can't hit me from where I can't hit you, always strong. And last but not least, just a couple small synergies like Intimidating, minus one dice. Well, Void Curse makes it more likely you can move up to get close to people to benefit from that. Well summarized, George. Let's jump to Toxic Terrors. So Toxic Terrors is very interesting also. Firstly, it has the ever-important upgrade to give plus one damage to range one and two with Callus. It does require a Poison Gambit or Poison Upgrade, but that's doable if you're in Toxic Terrors. They are not going to have a hard time finding upgrade slots to take Poison Upgrades in. Very interesting couple uh, summaries. Toxic Terrors has some surges that are really nice for them. They have Carve a Path, which is make two attacks with your leader, and then it's plus one if one, of the, one or more of those attacks was successful and in enemy territory. Even for one glory, this is awesome, and you can make two attacks with Dagok pretty reliably because of his reaction. They have Deluge of Toxins, which most people score by playing two Poison Gambits, but it's there are two Poison Gambits or three friendly Gambits of any kind persisting, and every single scheme can become a persisting one. Now, you may not want to let them persist, you may just want to score them, but the option to just put them out there, let them hang for a bit, score that surge, and then complete them all and collect all your, you know, scheme stuff is important. And again, I'll return just how desperate they are for plus damage and for a little bit of accuracy. So no safe ground to stagger folks and callous to get plus one damage is really going to let Dagok become the murder machine he needs to be. Excellent summary again, and really appreciate you sharing some of those detailed responses and how to pair the decks. Outside of those two, I'm not really sure what else really screams to me. I think my mind was in the same direction. I think Tooth and Claw is certainly something you can lean on to. This Warband wants to be aggressive. It can help you get that chip damage in as well. Get some fighting, get some accuracy. Good to go. Daring Delvers, again, this Warband seems to be a bit of scrummy a little bit. They want to fight you. They want to be in the midboard. They want to work on their positioning. So being rewarded for maybe holding objectives in the midboard or slightly in enemy's territory can support them while spamming those range two attacks. Outside of that as well, there is a part of me that wants to make deadly deaths work with them. I'm not really sure if that is certainly the play here, but I think there is some potential as well. So I, I see George shaking or nodding your head here. So if you have any thoughts you want to add to that before we round out the episode. Yeah, Deadly Depths, I think, is interesting. They might have the quality of faction surges to make it work. I know they'd love to have Lurking Horror, and they'd love to have Cursed Boarding Axe, and they'd love to have Dark Water Anchor. Absolutely. That's exactly what I was thinking. And let's do this thing here. Let's round out the episode and talk about our Warband thoughts on a whole before we lock things out here. So I think I'll go ahead and start, George, and then if you have any additional thoughts, we can knock it out here. But overall, I think this warband is designed for you to want to play with schemes. I know that they gave you the option to not to, so that gives you a little bit more deck flexibility and strategy and synergy, but I think if you're playing this warband, it's for the schemes, because that's the true appeal of it, because the fighters are meh, the upgrades are meh, and the gambits and the objectives really are only interesting when you play them with schemes, right? So primarily, that is my thought. Secondly, I'm actually quite disappointed with how weak and poor this warband has come printed. I think there are a lot of missed opportunities here. And I'm really curious on the design philosophy for this because 
if I had to take a good guess, it seems like there was a vision. And then obviously through the course, natural, internal, external playtesting, whatever, you get to certain conclusions. But it just seems like maybe things were rushed. I am i don't know. I, I can't speak on it. I don't want to make excuses for the design team. But I think this warband as a whole had a lot of potential. But it's actually quite a big miss because there's some anti-synergy. There's some lack of defense dice. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm not planning on really playing them, to be honest. Like, there's no excitement for me. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I mean, I am very excited for them still because I love Cruel Boys, but I, I have to confess that my excitement is uh, tempered and diminished a bit after reading the cards and seeing the stats. I, I agree that I feel like there was a lot of potential in the concept and the schemes seem really interesting, but the execution just leaves a bit to be desired. The overall power leaves a bit to be desired. and just from a fun perspective, I don't even want to talk about overall power level. I think that because of certain clunkiness in, in the mechanics as they've designed it, it's going to feel a little less satisfying than like Cunning Crew. Again, I keep comparing them, but that is my favorite warband. And the reaction on Manok is such a wonderful fusion and meeting point of, well, here's the theme of the warband is that he's cunning and they run around and they backstab folks. And here's a mechanic that epitomizes that that lets you express your skill, that lets you do something no other warband can do. And this warband just doesn't feel like it has that. I agree. Well, it sounds like we're on the same page here, George. And so let's wrap out this episode here with thanking our patrons. Thank you so much for supporting Path to Glory. We really appreciate it. Your support over the years has really allowed us to work and execute on some of the plans that we've been alluding to for the last couple months now. Spring of 2024 is going to be awesome. And we're so excited to share that with you. And in terms of purchasing this, please go to your local game store, pre-order on Games Workshop if you're interested in either the Stab Lads or Malevolent Masks. And till then, we wish you the best of luck on your path to Fink Steel and Glory. (laughs) 